0: In the novel, Olga Dies Dreaming, Olga is dreaming about being successful and rich and happy, and she's on her way. As the wedding planner for the elite of New York City, she enjoys a life full of the finer things. But her joy is constantly eclipsed by the shadows of family secrets that evoke other insecurities and leave her lonely for love. Her mother abandoned the family. Her beloved grandmother, the woman who raised her, dies. Her brother Prieto is a popular congressman, but his life is breaking down too. And now Hurricane Maria is about to make landfall in Puerto Rico, exposing the truth about her missing, remorseless mother's whereabouts. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Ivette Benavides. I spoke to Sochil Gonzalez about her debut novel, Olga Dies Dreaming. Olga Dies Dreaming. It hasn't been that easy for me to... Summarize this novel in like a really when someone asks what it's about. What do you say to people?
1: Um, I say that it is a family saga about resilience and that it follows the story of Olga, who is a luxury wedding planner, and her brother Prieto, um, who is a congressman, as they grapple with some un dealt with family issues, um, that bring, come to light in wake of hurricane Maria. So it's, uh, that's my, that's my quick elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) It works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot left on the, there's a lot left on the table there, but I think that that does the best at like trying to paint a picture of a story that, yeah. I mean, when I was working on it, people would say, what's it about? And I say, it's crazy. (laughs) So yeah, I think I've gotten a little bit better about trying to succinctly discuss it.
0: But crazy in a in a good way, in an interesting way, sort it, sort of the way that it mirrors the chaos of of life. And yes. You have these these two central characters. One is Olga, the eponymous Olga, of course, and then the other is her brother. Prieto that you mentioned. Um, I'm really interested in both of these characters, but can you talk a little bit about Olga, where Olga came from?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I tell people that Olga is an avatar for me had I never done therapy. <laughs> I started going into therapy when I was like 30. I had gotten divorced, which she is not. But I just really thought about all of these like coping mechanisms. You know, I had had some shared, I have some shared biography and the Since that my parents met as part of the Brown Power movement. And um, I was a luxury wedding planner and I was raised by my grandparents. And I and I realized when I hit a certain age that I had some, maybe not not the best, most healthy emotional coping mechanisms. And on the one hand, I just sort of thought it would be interesting to see how would that extrapolate if I had lived that way for maybe 10 more years. And, And also what would it look like to watch somebody kind of unravel that and find a new way to sort of uh, find some self-love and some self-peace. And so she is tenacious. She is funny. She's very funny. She's very scrappy. Um, She has a slightly warped sense of social justice (laughs) and right and wrong um, that I think is somewhat, you know, dictated by personal sense of grievance in society that she isn't necessarily uh, the most political person, but that she's got a sense of like haves and have nots and is a little bit of a Robin Hood in her own way. Um, and when we meet her, she's super commitment phobic. Uh, she's got a lot of intimacy issues and she's mainly a, a tough, she's a tough cookie. She's um, She's been very successful in life, but uh, not without putting up a lot of armor in order to do so. And, um, and really her, you know she's an isolated person, she's a bit of a lonely person, especially when we meet her. Um, her brother is really her best friend. They shared this common experience of um, having uh, not been raised by their parents and having been raised by their grandmother, and um, and for her, he's the closest person to her. And so, um, it was sort of a fun thing. I'm actually an only child, and it was a fun thing to sort of write a fantastical sibling that I don't have. <laughs> and give her that, uh, give her that, that, that person to, to lean on and to have shared some of these harder moments of life with.
0: I love their relationship so much. And it's, it is so realistically drawn. I have to tell you. Um, and Olga, she's so knowledgeable about wedding planning and you were a wedding planner too. She knows like a troubling number of kind of like shady ways to, well, you (laughs) called it Robin hood.
1: (laughs) That's, that's fair. Um, Oh my God. My business partner, I had a business partner. uh, She is my best friend. We're like sisters. And when she first read the draft of the book, she was, and it sold at first, she was, oh, it's such a fun book. I love it. She would read every like 50 pages. I'd send her 50 more pages. And then when the book actually sold, she had like a, two weeks where she could barely look at me without getting upset. So people are going to think we stole from them. <laughs> no one's going to think that No was going to think that it's fiction. It's fiction. But I was surprised at how many creative ways I was able to have invented. <laughs> For her to, uh, I I would like to say, call it skimming off the top or I think she would say equalizing resources. Equalizing resources.
0: Well, those were really sort of fun um, scenes to read. I mean, she's, she's sometimes her own worst enemy, but as you said, she's scrappy, she's smart. She's really had a difficult road and she's managed a lot of things in the absence of, her parents, you know, and these, these very, very stark losses, she is lonely. She is somebody who has this kind of penchant for loneliness and for just setting herself aside, aside and sort of looking at everything around her and, and sort of assessing it and then deciding somehow that, that I don't know if she feels she's not worthy or she doesn't trust it because of everything that she's been through, it's, I mean, it's a very poignant part of this character of Olga that I, that I found um, so, uh, so realistic and so resonant in many ways.
1: I, you know, thank you so much. Um, I think I I had had the chance to um, interview Sandra Cisneros for a book festival a few weeks back. And, And she was asking me about my book and about Olga. And I said, I was like, oh, she was in many ways inspired by uh, Esperanza in Mango Street because I remember being young and reading about Esperanza and being like, go Esperanza, go, like get out of the street, go and do all the things you want to do. And then I would read it. And as I got older and older, I would sometimes tear up because I knew all the challenging experiences she was going to have. And I think what you see is... um, you know, Olga's going down a lot of paths that she has no role modeling for. And I think that's the first, every step she takes towards chasing success is a step she takes kind of away from her support system, which I think makes her both um, a little insecure uh, because she doesn't have anybody to look to that's necessarily like cheering her on, but also a little unsteady because she doesn't know it's she never really knows what's around the bend, you know. She she after a while, she's a little street smart. She kind of figures it out, but she's like, "What happens if I try this thing?" Like, you know, I think there's a, a section where she is um, she reflects on having done a reality show, and her initial thing is like, "This is going to be terrific," and then in the experience of doing it, it's actually terrible. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I think she has a lot of moments like that where she beats herself up for maybe not having protect. Uh, on the one hand, protected herself better. And on the other hand, I think she's left with this like, lingering thing of like, why was I asked to do this? And I think that that haunts her quite a bit. And it was interesting and important to me. Um, you know, I think, especially given the current conversation that's happening in this country to sort of show, especially amongst the you know, community, but to show that, you know, there's an Edge to she's she is in some place, ways uh, she has a lot of white privilege and she's like a very passable Latina and Puerto Rican but I think that that, that sometimes undermines her own um, sense of like why was I asked here and I, I and that that in a weird way gnaws gnaws at her um, because of the ways in which she's been pursuing success I think and I yeah I I spent a lot of time when I was doing revisions trying to um, be very honest about what is it that she makes her feel kind of a little bit ashamed or a little bit um, I don't know, uh, you know what is it that she feels like um, self self-loat- some self-loathing about and I think sometimes it's uh, compromises that she makes in terms of who she knows she is and and shrinking herself to go into situations that soothe her ego in the moment but then maybe long term hurt her a little bit more.
0: Oh, I think that's so well said because it's almost a a kind of a guilt or something that uh, doesn't allow her to embrace her circumstances fully, or else she sort of self sabotages and puts herself in these situations that are, you know, they're just doomed. (laughs) They're just (laughs)
1: doomed in one way or another. But then what I love about her is. She always picks herself up and dusts herself off, right? Like its yes. I, I, I love that she doesn't give up. Like she pauses, she pauses, but she doesn't give up. And I um and I I think that that to me is a uh, is what I think is the thing that makes me love her, <laughs> even in moments and like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing well.
0: I like this connection to Esperanza in the House on Mango Street that you mentioned. And I was thinking as you were talking about the character of Alicia in that book, who is this girl who goes, you know, has to take mass transit and goes through all of this stuff just to be able to go to school and does not have the support of her father who thinks that perhaps she should just stay home and make the meals and clean the house And and so there's nothing like that in your novel, except for this idea of an Alicia who has figured out a roadmap for herself to take this train or this bus or whatever it is, right, metaphorically, to Mm. get to her goal in the absence of the mother figure, as we see with Alicia in that book. But then also with Olga in this book, I love the grandmother in this in this book the grandmother who takes care of olga the scene at the um at the church yes. that uh, i think all anyone who reads this book will be will be moved by that regardless of whatever their their background might be just this very human moment um but i i this idea of she's privileged in ways she makes opportunities for herself in other ways. She does have, she is in a, in a context where she's on TV, you know, she, she's <laughs> on good morning later. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love all of that. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, and so, you know, so spot on, but the, the idea of her, I, I never have a sense of her, you know, for all these, you know, 300 something pages of, sh- you know, she's, She's self-sabotaging, and she'd have it made otherwise. There's none of that either. She yeah. is this very broken person. She's she's, you know, the the idea of dislocation. Yes, um, in this novel is so powerful for both Prieto and for Olga, mm-hmm. um, and really in interesting ways for Olga's family too, as we see that whole panoply of of rich characters uh, in Olga's family. Um, I wonder if you could talk about that idea of dislocation a little bit.
1: Oh, yes. You know, I really wanted, um, I wanted to sort of write in the in a personal way, you know, I think sometimes we can read stories about, let's say gentrification that's happening, not just in Brooklyn. I think I, I, I write for the Atlantic a, a column about it called Brooklyn everywhere. That's sort of as the universality of gentrification, but gentrification that, you know, how it really impacts a family and individuals and the way in which they emotionally feel about that. But that also her family is part of a different kind of, uh, you know, they were, they were the, um, they were the next gathering of a diasporic people from Puerto Rico, right? Like where um, circumstances like economic circumstances, like time and again have led to waves of migration to the mainland and, and then communities kind of found each other in New York. And then these same communities that sort of recreated themselves um, in order to preserve culture and preserve community now are sort of being destroyed droid again by this kind of hyper gentrification that's been happening that is causing displacement again, and I think what I what we see for Olga that I think is a very in many ways, it's a common thing, especially amongst, you know, Rican culture is like the sort of second wave of like a culture that has happened as an outspring of the diaspora, it's diasporic migration from Puerto Rico, but it is its own specific thing. And I think she feels very much more than anything. She's like, I know I'm not really from this island. I, you know, I know that that's, I, I know that I'm of this island, but I don't know this island. And I know this is my, my culture, but what I really feel is Brooklyn. And that's the thing that she feels safe and secure and that's her firm territory. And then she's watching it sort of change rapidly before her and all the things that, that, that gave her comfort you know, coming back home to Brooklyn, where people were much more low key, she wasn't trying to having to put on a costume or an act of, you know, being more than maybe she is. And suddenly, that same ethos that she in her mind thinks of as Manhattan, or as like the next where she's attempting to get to has sort of infiltrated her world. And, um, and so that is, I think, for both of them, he, Prieto, he was always, um, you know, when his, his, father passed away and his mother leaves them, um, and that's not really a spoiler because it happens quite early in the book, we learn this, is that he is the protector and he becomes the protector of his sister. He becomes the protector of his family. And, and then he sees himself as becoming as a politician, at first a community, activist, a politician, as the protector of his community, and he can't seem to be able to stem the tide of, of preserving the space. So I do think, um, even though these are characters with a lot of agency and and more means like it's not an examination of a family that, you know, they own their house. They don't, you know, they're not forced to sell it. It's not a story about like total displacement. It's almost more about spiritual displacement and finding a place to be home only to have that place transform under your feet.
0: Oh, I think I absolutely agree with that idea. I mean, because you have New York, you have Brooklyn, you have uh, Puerto Rico. The idea of place here is very important for a variety of reasons that I won't spoil for the reader. Um, the idea that Prieto and Olga are so far removed from Puerto Rico is very interesting to me. I mean, as you say, it's like the spiritual dislocation and, and all of these attendant things that are going on with them, um, it's sort of beyond the halfway mark of the of the novel that readers will come to. Um, so I, I just find that so interesting. I mean, I do perceive that this, in some ways, mirrors this generational shift among maybe Latinos generally, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, The grandmother figure is is quite anchored in one space. Um, And so for Olga and Prieto, um, it seems like, I mean, Prieto is giving his, his whole life and career over to his community in some ways in, in New York. Um, And that's, that's huge, you know, in this particular uh, novel, in this story. And then Olga, in some ways, I mean, she is really, really entrenched in, in that way that they would be, I don't want to say it would be a fish out of water story, otherwise in, in Puerto Rico, because yeah. um, that that wouldn't necessarily be true, but sort of in that way, um, interestingly, that it is f- for Latinos who are immigrants. Let's say yes. so. It's a it's a very interesting kind of generational shift that I perceive with Latinos more generally. That sense of dislocation and that sense of uh, of disconnection that then seems to. Um, can you know feed into other issues that they have to manage it's a, it's so complex it's such a complicated situation
1: it is so complicated and i think you know i um i know this with my own grandparents Although it's so, you know, I, I was saying this to somebody, my, my actually, my dad's side of the family, my, my, my mom, my dad's side of the family was originally from Brownsville, actually, and um, and my mom's side of the family is from Puerto Rico, but I, is it in both sides of the cases, a border kind of just came, and then they were Americans, <laughs> so, but there wasn't the classic immigration story, but I do think that what my grandparents faced was an intense level of discrimination that motivated them to want their families to fit into America. And uh, however, that was deemed at the time. And I think that what we sometimes are seeing, and that is a bit, you know, that can feel sad, or that can feel displacing is that then a few generations in, The relationship to home, depending on how you think of that, like the relationship to the the original motherland is is different for the, the next couple of generations and and they're neither here nor there right like and I think that you know there's this moment that I love actually it's such a tiny moment but. Olga is reflecting on a trip that she took with an ex-boyfriend who um, had been born in Puerto Rico and how she realized as soon as they got there and he'd spent his whole life on the mainland, how American they looked, you know, like, like, <laughs> <and he's laughs> like, like and it's like, like, and I think, you know, this idea of being like, I'm going to my islands, you know, like in New York, you know, people say, it's like, I'm on my way to my islands. And then like, you get there and you're like, wait, everybody. Oh, I remember Piri Tomas used to write about this all the time. He would go to the islands and everybody would make fun of his family because he spoke Spanish with the New York accent, you know, like, and so I think this um, sense of like you your the generations before you wanting to their children and their grandchildren to feel ownership of this place and experience. And then the grandchildren feeling like in some ways, like of this place and then not of the other place either. And so it's complicated. It's complicated. But I, I do think, you um, I thought that for me personally, and this was something that motivated me to write the book, I just remember I was supposed to go to Puerto Rico for my 40th birthday, which is right before I started, it happened smack with Hurricane Maria, like my birthday's in September. And I just remember feeling this pain in my heart, watching the news footage and, and the weeks and turning into months of people without water and electricity and just it feeling this pain that didn't feel just like, empathetic watching the, you know, just a news story. If I was like, oh, this is like a tug that's bigger. And I, and even though I I, I have such a tenuous relationship with the island, um, you know, but I, I was like, this is where you are from. It's a pull. It's a pull. It's the same way that they feel that both the brother and sister feel that pull with their own mother who has not really been there with them, but they still feel that pull. And I and I think they parallel each other quite, quite quite nicely in the book. Um, somewhat by design, somewhat by happy accident.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's undeniable that this idea of that pull, Um, you know, that's the thing about this novel. It's like, this, this is where my initial, you know, question about what to say to people who ask me what it's about, because it's, It's a lot of fun to read it from the standpoint of watching Olga and all her, you know, travesuras and all her (laughs) um and and being in her head, or even being in Prieto's head and trying and watching him try to navigate so many difficult, difficult situations then their sibling relationship, then the family, then but there's the, there are these other subjects here that don't hit us over the head. They're not on a sort of a full boil that they're on a this. It's a little more than a, than a low simmer of even something like gentrification, even something like, um, you know, our, our current, political situation, maybe what we've been going through for the last few years as a, as a country. Mm -hmm. Um, Also the idea of racism, colorism, discrimination, and then, you know, a, a, a whisper of something about climate change. And again, it's nothing is, is bopping us over the head. And yet I kept thinking about how this is how life comes to us sometimes it's like these moments of don't forget that this is a reality in your space don't forget that this happens too don't it's sort of all of a piece all of these different layers very interesting layers about some very important topics that i think um olga and prieto bring to us through this single story
1: I so appreciate you saying that, and I do think that one of the—it's really the power to me of the art of fiction—is that you um, can humanize and, and get people invested in the complicated natures of uh, of adulthood <laughs> and, and 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 certain circumstances and moments in time in life in a way that um, you know even the best of of nonfiction or journalism um, can do, but it's it's just you can give the light moments that you sometimes can't when you're trying to convey the intensity of something. And so what I I think um, was the present of this was that I don't, I I appreciate you saying that because I don't think I ever wanted to write a polemic novel. I think my goal was to write a novel about believable complicated characters living life through this challenging moment in time that is so fraught with many things like with some things of climate change with, with, which had so much to do with so much that's happening, so much that happened around Maria and in Puerto Rico, and just um, and I think in New York, you know, we had just come off of Superstorm Sandy. It felt like and so just these things are all um, they're part of the fiber of life. And what I was what was fun, my old profession, wedding planning, mm-hmm. and just the nature of local politics and pol- politicking in New York gave great, their professions gave me a lot of room to be able to make the political personal in a way that didn't feel, um, added on, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it totally does make sense. Yeah. I like that, that language of, it wasn't like, um, peppered in, you know, it was, it's a very, or it happens very organically. Um, and it's just such a, I like what you say, like you didn't want to write a polemical thing, but it's, uh, you know, the, the personal is political, the political is personal, but this is just a, 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 really great story about family, about friendship, about love and community and surviving. And, um, it's just, even on that level, uh, you know, it has its complications, uh, but there's something very resonant and, and just, poignant in this idea um, from this novel. What's, what is the central thing? What is the main thing that you want readers to take away from reading Olga Die's Dreaming?
1: Oh, I think I would say resilience, um, that I think we're all so much more resilient than we sometimes think we can be, that um, the hard things, the hardest of things we can give ourselves a moment and dust ourselves off and, and keep going. And that it's never too late to find that space to love yourself and to feel loved. Like, I think that that is um, really what I think both of the siblings come to this journey of sort of self-acceptance and self-love, but it's because they are so their spirits are so resilient. And I hope that it inspires people to um, never give up on the idea that like, you're baked, your cake is baked. I really wanted these characters to be middle-aged um, because I felt it was so important to show that no matter how long you've been like making do with one way of existing, there's a there's always space to to say like this isn't enough. Sometimes we're tra- we're lured into that space by trauma, but there's always space to say, okay, I can do it and I'm gonna keep going. Balante. <laughs> As I say in the balante. <laughs> um just keep going keep going and I think that that is to me um the spirit of the book
0: Sochil Gonzalez thank you so much for talking to me today what a pleasure to get to talk to you thank you
1: thank you so much and thank you for um being so thoughtful about this book it means so much to me thank you Yvette
0: Sochil Gonzalez is the author of the novel Olga Dies Dreaming This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rezati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Ivette Benavides.